We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're talking the top wide receiver performances of the last 20 seasons on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Everyone, welcome back on Into Rotoviz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. Matt, we talked tight ends earlier in the week. I'm assuming, like myself, you're a little bit more excited about talking about wide receivers. Uh, yeah, it'll be good to look at them, especially once I uh, have pulled up the. Uh list of topics for us to talk about (laughs) oh which matt which matt says because there is no listing you know i think that there's there's some topics that uh just speak for themselves yeah yeah okay so but the list of the list of wide receivers yeah yes the list of wide receivers have you looked at it yet i haven't which is perfectly fine because i did not send this to matt until pretty darn close to the show some of that is by design because then when i ask him to guess things we get to actually see his mind go through the process all right. Well, this is this is painful because I, I know what you're going to ask. It's going to be something like, who's the top wide receiver <laughs> from uh, like from 2000 to, to now? And I know I'm going to have to say it's Antonio Brown. So let's just <laughs> skip ahead. <laughs> All right. Do you know do you know who had which player did have the um, the best uh overall season like most fantasy points in 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 a single season well um, yeah i'm gonna say it's antonio brown (laughs) yeah i mean that's that's who it is yeah do you know who uh number two was 
It's <laughs> probably Antonio Brown. The guy, he, he probably has like four of the top like eight uh, uh, wide receiver seasons of the the past like twenty years. Yeah. So actually, it's um in the top ten. I think he only gets in it gets in twice. But the first one is Antonio Brown in two thousand fifteen with three eighty seven. Okay, so okay. So if I had to think about this. Randy Moss is up there with a couple of seasons, but like yep. the 2007 season was awesome. I, I bet that is in the top five. Um, I don't know, maybe some T.O. seasons, but I just I don't think so. Uh, I don't know. I, I think Antonio Brown and Moss are the guys that I feel pretty confident locking in with top five seasons. But after that, I don't know. So there's actually a couple of crazy things in here. Um, I think if you were to look at the you can if you don't look at the totals, if you look at, you know, like absolutely ridiculous seasons, then Antonio Brown has a strong case. But there's one player on here, Matt, who um I'm actually uh you you mentioned a lot of names. Did you mention Larry Fitzgerald? No, I didn't. So the player with the most seasons in here is Antonio Brown at six. But I guess we should say you've never actually been anti-Antonio Brown. You just happen to be the first person that realized there was something going on with Antonio Brown. Yeah, I mean, at that point, I was anti-Antonio Brown, but it was more just like in relation to the market. Yeah. Like, I always thought he was awesome, especially in the early days. Like, I was very pro-Antonio Brown before a lot of other people were. But um, yeah, I just I thought there was a time to sell before a lot of other people did. Yep. Um, the other thing I'm going to mention as, as I go down this list, when we were looking at tight ends, we noted that it was concentrated among just a handful of players. A lot of players were only in there one time. Naturally, with wide receiver, where there's a lot more players vying to be on this list, we're going to see you know, a pretty concentrated list of names. So I think that in this context, uh, keep in mind as you're listening, it's, it's hard to get onto this list multiple times. So Antonio Brown with six, Larry Fitzgerald with five, Randy Moss with five, Marvin Harrison with five, Calvin Johnson four, T.O. four, Chad Johnson three, Julio three, DeAndre Hopkins three, Brandon Marshall three, Andre Johnson three, Dez Odell, Torrey Holt, Jordy Nelson, Demarius Thomas, Wes Welker, those are the only players to get on the list more than uh, two times. And then at two, you have Anquan Bolton, Mike Evans, Michael Thomas, Reggie Wayne, AJ Green. That's it. I think to uh, those names kind of all make sense. I actually forgot, though, about Chad Johnson actually being like a pretty darn good fantasy player. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't have been able to remember him um, as someone to put on this list. Uh, Calvin Johnson interesting you know like he i feel like he never really reached his peak potential and he was still super awesome yeah he yeah he really was so he had the seventh best season actually uh, at 361 and that was in 2011 julio uh gets on that list um with the seventh best performance uh 371 that was 2015 michael thomas 2019 374 we've talked about how good that was and then ahead of that you have the two antonio brown seasons a marvin harrison and a randy moss um here's the crazy thing though matt 2018 do you know how many players from 2019 made the top 100 2019 yeah um i'm looking at it now i see michael thomas <laughs> near the top i yep. don't see like any other guys from 2019 which actually like might make sense just in terms of the narrative 
Like this yep. 2019 was a weird year where a lot of the top wide receivers underwhelmed for chunks of the season, which made like the the running backs who were drafted high much more valuable. Yep. So the average from 2000 to 2019, you average five players per season that finished in this top 100 in that time frame. In 2019, there is only one. It was just Michael Thomas, which is why a lot of people kind of did feel the pain if they were stocking up on wide receivers and hoping for, you know, some historical performances. But that is offset by 2018, which has more finishes in the top 100 than any other season. There were nine players in 2018. Interestingly, though, 2017, there were only two. 2016, just four, and that was after a very impressive stretch where we were always at seven or eight. Are you buying into that there's something going on here? And we've kind of alluded to this before with different ways that uh, receivers are being used, teams are bringing more players into their passing attack. Are you getting concerned and buying into the fact that we're going to start to see the wide receiver position lose some value in fantasy? Or do you think that we're already there? Yeah, I think we're we're probably already there, but it's yep. not it's not the wide receiver position in general because, you know, like teams are passing the ball more than ever. They're using wide receivers more than ever, but they're spreading the ball around a little bit more. So it's just fewer targets for those number one receivers at the top. But then also like last year was just a little bit of a weird year. You know, like, uh, I mean, Julio missed a game, I guess, which isn't like all that weird, but I, I think it's like he really missed kind of like two games. I think he was injured early in one. So like he missed time, Tyreek Hill missed time, Devontae Adams missed time. Like there were just a lot of the guys that you would take in the top 12 at the position missed significant time or had something going on with their quarterback uh, like situation. So I don't know, like I still like a lot of the wide receivers at the top, but um, I don't know. They're just not getting as many targets as they used to because the number two and number three receivers and offenses are now more important. Right. So I guess it begs the question of, do we need to start contextualizing wide receivers such as this? And for a lot of us, we've always been using wide receivers as our flex. Do we just need to realize now that we might not be getting quite as much value from our highest drafted wide receivers, but maybe we're getting a little bit more value out of those guys that are closer to our flex spots? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. And, um, you know, if, if you have, a running back who's getting a ton of usage, that's probably the guy you want to use in your flex anyway, because like his uh, his production is more projectable. You know, it's more reliable. Yeah. But uh, you know, barring that situation, and you know, there are fewer of those guys in the league now than there used to be. Uh, I think that makes the wide receiver position in general just more important. Uh, so yeah, I guess that makes the flex player uh, even uh, likelier to be a wide receiver. Yep. I do have to concede that I think going into 2020, the way that I'm going to be drafting wide receivers is going to be a little bit different. Um, I am certainly going to be trying to get, if I have maybe the first four or five picks, one of those top level running backs, then making sure that I get maybe two of the really strong wide receivers, but I'm probably going to be a little more loose afterward, not trying to jam as many into my rosters um, as possible. And some of this goes back to though running backs have been good. I've been having less success finding guys that I can fill into gaps in my roster as the season progresses. 
I don't know if that's just me. Do you think that matches the broader narrative of the takeaways that people have had? Or do you kind of also have the sense that there have been fewer players popping up or they've been harder to identify than they would have been maybe going back to like 2014, 2015, 2016? Uh, well, I think it's... I it's think a loaded it's harder, question, by the way. I think it's harder to find... Um, I think it's always been relatively hard to find wide receivers um, on waivers, especially guys who have like a real chance of being difference makers. Like you can sometimes find guys who just kind of pop up and it's like, oh, this can be a decent number three wide receiver for me. But yep. in general, I think it's hard to find wide receivers because, um, you know, these might be guys who fill in, uh, you know, for injury or maybe they underperformed for a chunk of their career, uh, you know, like, like Devonte Parker. And, uh, you know, he just happens to break out this year. But, you know, you have basically like a one out of 12 shot of getting him. But, you know, there's so much turnover at the running back position, you know, for those classic like zero RB cases that we know of that. It's just it's easier to find running backs to plug into your roster. Like that's still the case. That's always going to be the case. Yep. All right. We are going to take a look at the players from 2018 that got into this list but first we are going to take a quick stop and uh, listen to a message from our sponsor bet online with currently no nba nhl or college basketball you might think there's nothing to bet on well you'd be wrong bet online still has hundreds of places to wager from their online casino to poker and blackjack all open 24 hours a day and all online sports aren't totally done there's still mixed martial arts and esports is on the rise if you're into entertainment you can still bet on american idol the elections the spelling bee and even the nathan's hot dog eating contest july 4th at this point we're starting to get close i'm already going to be scoping that field you should do the same be sure to use the promo code blue wire to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit that's blue wire 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online your new ticket to online action all right matt the names from 2018 one of them, um, I still get a little bit sad when I look at it thinking about what should have been in 2019. That's Juju Smith-Schuster. We also had Mike Evans, <laughs> oh, man. Adam Thielen, Michael Thomas, Antonio Brown, Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins. So this list was a pretty impressive list in 2018. In 2020, naturally, one has to remove Antonio Brown. I don't think that Adam Thielen's on that list anymore. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster could be, but I feel pretty good about the rest of those players. Yeah, I mean, Juju is, uh, I think, the clear guy. And like as a sign, and I think we've talked about this, but as a sign of like how sharp the market is versus where it used to be, like Juju is still ranked pretty high uh, if you look at kind of like expert rankers and stuff like yep. that and like where his ADP is like people are already expecting a bounce back which I, I I'm worried about how high I'm going to get on him I don't think that I can get him past like my top four um but I think that one can come up with a compelling case of how you get him back to easily in the top 10 at the wide receiver position. Um, as far as Tyreek Hill goes, though, I think we've talked about this too. Do you think that he deserves to be a top five type of wide receiver? Because I do. Yeah, I do. He he has enough overall production. And 
we have enough of a sample with uh, him with Patrick Mahomes specifically where uh, he's been impressive. So, yeah, I do. Yep. Um, going back to now, I know I'm kind of flipping around, but I'm just trying to pin, pick out things that I find interesting. So, you know, 2019 only had one receiver that got into this top 100 list. Uh, care to venture the one other season where we only saw one player. It only happened one time. Oh, wow. Uh, no, there's there's no way I can This do is that. such a hard question. 2006, only Marvin Harrison. Um, oh, wow. Which, okay. again, though, I think just kind of drives home how weird of a year 2019 actually was. Um, yeah, like Michael Thomas. Like, he's another guy who had, like, a, a top season in 2018. Uh, and then still looked good for a lot of 2019 and then was injured. Like, I think he missed how many, like three games, something like three and a half games. Yep. You know, like I think Evans returns to this list. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, do you think Godwin gets into uh, this list next season? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I kind of don't see why he wouldn't unless uh, there's like some massive change at the quarterback position. Um, or, you know, he like suffers another injury or something like that. But just in terms of how he played on a per game basis, like, I think there's room both for Godwin and Evans on this list. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, I think that there's a lot of players I feel good about going into next season. I mean, I still feel really good about Calvin Ridley and DJ Moore. Um, as far as the rookies that are going to be entering the league in 2020 now i'm not assuming that any of them are going to get onto this list but do you see any teams in the mocks that you've looked at where you think that um one of these rookies could come in and either be very detrimental to an older veteran or there's a position where a a team where one of these rookies could come in and make you know a pretty substantial immediate impact and kind of challenge to get on a list like this no, I mean, I'm not like I like these rookie wide receivers, but I'm not going to assume that one of them has like a, an Odell Beckham esque type of rookie season and can just propel himself into a top hundred list. Yeah, I don't think so either. So as I've been looking through um, the rookies, I've been trying to think trying to think back like, you know, we have a Jonathan Taylor profile, great profile. You know, we saw Saquon Barkley recently, these profiles that look like all time type of profiles. Um, I'm trying to think who's the quintessential example at wide receiver. Like an all time profile. Yeah. Like if you have to pinpoint to like the, like the profile. Chase Claypool. <laughs> are you serious? Well, no, I'm like, are you talking about like, a, I'm not saying what do you mean by season. profile? Do you mean I'm physical saying, or in terms of his total like, skill set? The whole, fi- the whole package, right? Okay, so the like whole package. Saquon, were, when, no, I'm I, saying like, well, you say Jonathan Taylor and like, we just saw what he did at the combine and you say Saquon and we know he's like a physical marvel. Yeah, I thought but, you were talking specifically okay. about just these guys no, no, no. and their physicality. Uh, what what I'm what I'm talking about here is players where they had that incredible college production, credible resume. And then they absolutely crushed the combine too. No, there's no one like that in this year's class. Yeah. Okay. Who is the player though that historically you point to as that player if you have oh, to pick one? Calvin Johnson. It, okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, or, or like maybe Julio Jones, but like, I mean, Calvin Johnson really for me is like the the prototype. 
you could say, I mean, Randy Moss is also in there, but like, he's also just such a unicorn that he was like productive really early on in his college career. And that normally doesn't happen. So like, I would, I don't know, I'd, I'd say Calvin Johnson, but like really Randy Moss, but there's no one, there's no one like that. Yeah, it's a really, really rare thing. Um, and I don't think that we've seen it. Well, so you had DK Metcalf last year with the ridiculous profile, best profile or athletic profile we've seen in, in a while, but the college uh, production wasn't there. And I don't, you know what, AJ yeah. Brown. Like, it's not that he actually had it, yep. but he came as close to having it last year as anyone has in a while. Like, back-to-back strong seasons in the SEC, you know, like, what was he? He wasn't quite, like, 230 pounds, but, like, he was a big guy and ran, you know, below a 4.540 time. Like, he that doesn't mean he's, like, Calvin Johnson-esque or Randy Moss-esque, but, like, I mean, he came pretty close to it. Yeah, and I think if you remove DK Metcalf from the conversation last year, which is a big, you know, step taken this hypothetical, but people are probably looking at AJ Brown a lot differently. And I'm not saying that you you take away the production that Metcalf would have had in college. I'm just saying that you take away a player that's kind of distracting the conversation from AJ Brown, you know, given the one percent body fat and all that goes with that. Um, you know, it's weird that there's no for as good as this class is. There's no perfect prospect in this class, like at the wide receiver position. Yeah. Like, like Jerry Judy, as great as he is, he's like 193 pounds. Like, it's hard for me to be like, and this guy's going to dominate the NFL. Like, maybe he will, but he's 193 pounds. You know, like CeeDee Lamb, there's some great things about him, but like, I, I wish he were a little bit faster. You know, like for a guy who's 198 pounds, I wish he were just a little bit faster. Like T. Higgins. Uh, I think he's really impressive, but you know, I don't know. Like, there's just there's no one who really stands out, and it's weird that this is maybe you know like some people really think that this is maybe the greatest wide receiver prospect class of all time, but there's no like one guy who is in that Calvin Johnson or Randy yeah. Moss or Julio Jones stratosphere as a prospect. There are just lots of guys who are really really good. Yeah, I have. Tr- I kind of have trouble getting on board with this class being that transcendent, especially when you go back to like the 2014 class. Obviously, we know what we know now, but I I do feel like it when has I was so much more it, depth. That's yeah, the thing. it's a really deep class. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's fair, but this is this is the counter to that I would have. Yeah, the class have, has depth, but how often do we think that a class has depth and then you realize there's still only a couple of players that escape? So it, it, isn't it more important that you just have a couple of absolutely fantastic, you know, all-time type of players versus, you know, a lot of guys that could be okay NFL players? Yeah, I think that's I think that's true, but like we see that there is <laughs> like historically a lot of value to be found at the wide receiver position in the second and third rounds. Yep. And like this class is loaded with second and third round wide receiver value. So like, I think this class is top five stacks up pretty decently with the top five from almost any other season with the exception of 2014, which just had like a tremendous top five of like, what was it? Sammy Watkins, Odo Beckham Jr., Mike Evans, 
Uh, I think you also had Brandon Cooks Brandon in Cooks. there. Yep. And then Jarvis well, Landry. Uh, no, Jarvis Landry oh, wasn't in the top oh, five. It was probably okay, Kelvin yeah. Benjamin, which is just, like oh, sucks. Yeah. But yeah. but like those top five, those stack up great against any other prospect top five you could come up with in any any given year, including the top five in this year. But the guys after that, I think, are still really strong. You know, like whoever it is that you're putting after that. You know, like let's say like Denzel Mims. I, I like Michael Pittman Jr. a lot. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Rager is someone people are going to put in there. Brandon Ayuk, whoever it is. Like after that, there's still a lot of uh, a lot of potential, a lot of depth in this class. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's that's fair. So I I get that point. Um, I don't know. Perhaps I did. I just need to. I need to just pull up some. Uh, some film and uh, watch some of these highlight tapes to get myself pumped up. Cause I actually, you know, like I'll always joke about that, but like, I still will after I've gone through and done everything. Like I do like to just like uh, get some images behind the numbers. Just so I have kind of like some pictures of the player to, to store away in my mind. And I have not done that yet. Yeah. I mean, um, you want to know what kind of player he is. Like, I still right. think that's fair. Yep. Um, so, when we get to that, who knows, maybe, you know, you get some of the, uh, the hype music going in the background, some good cuts, um, in the film. And, you know, maybe I can, I can get a little more enthusiastic real quick though, before we close this down, I'm going to continue reading down. Um, I think I already read the, the top 10 performances. I'm going to go down, um, from 11, Calvin Johnson, Brandon Marshall, Demarius Thomas, Steve Smith, DeAndre Hopkins, Wes Welker, Hines Ward, Brandon Marshall, T.O., DeAndre Hopkins, Mushin Muhammad, Julio Jones, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Jordy Nelson, Marvin Harrison, Rod Smith, Antonio Brown, T.O., Andre Johnson, T.O., Michael Thomas, Odell, Demarius Thomas, Roddy White, Rod Smith, Des Bryant, Reggie Wayne, Andre Johnson, Josh Gordon at number 40. Josh Gordon's the first name where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Man, Josh Gordon, 2013, 314 points. What and that could was, have that been? That was on only 14 games. <laughs> yes, yes, like, it was. What a transcendent season that was. Yeah, it was. So you look at the rest of these names in here. Um, they are all great, which is a little bit different between the other positions. I mean, really, these are a lot of players that had tremendous seasons uh tremendous careers and you know we're always elite type of players um which you don't see with all of the other positions so uh it does make you kind of shake your head and think man what could have been uh had things gone differently for josh gordon yeah well and jordy nelson i loved jordy nelson um so like great career he had uh you know missed a season with the acl and then came back and was still awesome in his yep. return from injury uh that was great to see um, I don't know. I'm surprised Mushin Muhammad made the list, to be honest. So he had like that one awesome season. But other yep. than that, it was kind of like, eh. Uh, yeah, Rod Smith, I wouldn't have thought about him. But, you know, he was kind of like the, the tail end of the 90s and, you know, just made the list with right. that 2000 season. Right. Um, who else? Heinz Ward. Like, that's kind of surprising that he actually had, that is kind of surprising. Like, a yeah. top that's 2000 fantasy yeah. season. But yep. like top top 20 for the last 20 years fantasy season. Pretty impressive, but yeah, I guess that you know there was that time when he was just getting targeted so much within that Steelers offense that uh, it it helps boost him up the list. So wait, two thousand two, who did the was that Cordell Stewart at that point? Ah, uh, I think so. I think it might have been. No, it, it, that just feels weird. Was it? It must have. Who been. was the? 
I don't know. They had like one of those. I think Cordell Stewart is 2002, but like there was a time when he was playing only a few games. So like yeah. it might have been in that in that time. I'm looking up Tommy Maddox. Up. Oh, Tommy Maddox. Oh my gosh, that's right. That's right. Um, hey, did you ever play um Actually, I don't know if we ever talked about this. Were you big into video games when you were a kid? Uh, not really. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of it. They had this game that was like a quarterback challenge or something, and it was just like the quarterbacks, and you would do like these like drills with them and stuff. And uh, like Gus Farrat was on the cover one year, which still uh, I I find interesting. That sounds terrible. Yes, but since you <laughs> haven't played this game, there's no sense in us trying to go back and rehash it. So really, no video games for you. Uh, King Griffey Jr. And, uh, okay. you know, like it would just kind of depend. Um, but Goldeneye. Not, Did you ever play Goldeneye? No, my high school friends got super into that. But uh, yep. I did not. Uh, I got super into Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh, okay. Loved, loved that. Wasted yep. hours on that. Okay. Um, my, my random game that I'm just going to mention in case people, I love Soul Calibur. Um, if anybody out there listening is familiar with that, but then I, I actually did play a fair amount of video games. Um, the sports video games, I loved Bill Walsh, college football, 95 NHL hockey, 94 was incredible. Um, though. Oh, oh my God. Bases loaded on a classic Nintendo on NES is, is one of my, maybe my favorite sports game of all time. Um, there, there are a lot of them, but, um, seeing as you did not play that many, we're not going to go down this path. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yes. Uh, hey, real quick. I did read one of your pieces. Uh, your wife wrote a book. Yes, she did. Yeah. W- Want to give us the quick summary of what it's about? No, I do not. It, it seems <laughs> it, it, it's, it's more academic in nature, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's, uh, it's a book kind of analyzing um, how it is that people read traumatic literature uh, and like focusing on, you know, a few uh, key authors, Faulkner, one of them, but uh, yep. kind of big picture, like the theory of how it is that that people respond to representations of trauma uh, in literature and American literature in particular. Yep. Um, When people ask me for a book recommendation, it's somebody that I know does not read that much. I I generally recommend Intruder in the Dust by Faulkner. Love that book. How would you pick that one? I don't know. It's just what comes to mind. I don't know. It's not even like like a really famous one. It's kind of amazing that that's one that you would pick. I just, I had to read it in high school and, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was high school. And I just remember it was like one of those books for whatever reason I was captivated by it. I read it in like two days, like didn't put it down, like just loved it. I don't know. That's random. Wow. But yeah. Uh, it, so okay. Anyways. So I don't know yeah. why anyone is still listening to this podcast, but we might as well continue talking about it. Um, yeah. Okay. Did you, have you read any other Faulkner? Um, I think I may, I've probably read one other book, but it was one where, um, I was just kind of doing it for the class and like I, I wasn't really yeah, like hooked like, on reading it. Was it, yeah. was it the sound and the fury? I honestly don't remember. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so Faulkner is great, but he can be really hard. And yep. honestly, I've never read Intruder in the Dust. So I just kind of don't oh, okay. know like how hard yep. that one actually is. But like when people talk about Faulkner, like that's not one that they normally talk about. Like they talk about books that he wrote like 20 years before that one. Okay, yeah. I'm going to assume it couldn't have been that hard to get through because I think I was like a sophomore in high school. Okay, um, interesting. So it can't be that hard. 
Um, but okay. anyways, we've, well, we've really I might, deviated now. I might yep. read, uh, maybe I'll try to set some time to uh, read Intruder in the Dust. Yeah, and then, and then tell me what you think. I'm actually going to try to read, uh, I, I'm limited on time now, but I'm going to try to read your wife's book because I, I, I want to get in the, get the perspective and in the mind of somebody that has to deal with Matt Friedman on a uh, near 24-7 basis. No, I, I assure you that that book, uh, you will learn nothing <laughs> about me by trying to dive into that book. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, but, well, see, I wonder if living with you is so traumatic that that is what has driven her to have such an interest in trauma. Uh, I don't think so. I, I would okay. highly doubt it. Um, okay. But, uh, yeah, I would say, like, trauma is the most interesting part of American literature. Like, it's all seeped in trauma. Like, every, yep. uh, like every great American book probably has something to do with, like, war or race or like violence or yep. like something like that. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, hey, so if we're talking the great American books, um, like what are the top five that people would generally cite? Like, I think I could guess, but I don't really know. Oh man, I don't know. Like, I is mean, it going to be, um, like I'm, I'm partial to, uh, to Mark Twain. Yep. So yeah, like yep. uh, Huckleberry Finn has to be in there. I think I would um, think that like to kill a mockingbird, one of Steinbeck's books probably finds their way in there. Yeah, that's in, yeah. Like someone would probably put like grapes of wrath in there. Like, I think it just kind of depends on like who you're yeah. talking to. Like if you're talking to uh, like someone who's just well read versus someone who like teaches high school versus someone yep. who teaches college, like they would come up with a, a different top five list. But like, I don't know. I would say Huckleberry Finn for sure has to be in there and then tony morrison uh beloved for sure has to be in the top five i have not Uh, read that and then after that like i think there could be a lot of debate as to what goes in the top five got it um okay your uh area of of literary focus that you enjoy most is it american literature or um Uh, is there other things that you were into when i was i've always yeah i was in grad school it was uh like renaissance so it was like shakespeare and milton okay got it um my favorite and i like my plan is because a lot of these books i feel like i don't have the time to actually sit down and intellectually try to go through uh so i'm assuming maybe i can get to more and retire but i find russian literature like uh dostoevsky and that time period like tolstoy obviously all of that to be like extremely captivating yeah i mean they're great um I feel like I never have enough time to read them because they're so long. Right. And then also right. like I always feel a little bit weird because of the translations. So like I, yeah. you know, like I just never kind of know like if I'm getting it, you know, like you like there's always stuff that is lost in translation. And so you never I don't know. I, It's not to say that like you should never read something that is in translation because like then you wouldn't read any stuff that was like written by the Romans or the Greeks or anything like that. But, you know, like, yeah, I don't know, like Russian literature, I just feel like there's a lot to get there. And in translation, you probably miss it. And then also it's just, it's so dang long. Yes. Yes. All right. Um, that's all fair. Well, Matt, I don't know if anybody is still listening to this podcast, but I guess we'll close it down. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's too much close more it. Time. Yeah. Let's close it down. Um, and actually, uh, I need to get back over to the old outline for it. Uh, cause I generally botch it every time I try to do it without it, but that does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. 
thanks to Bet Online for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.